Welcome to Screw the Hierarchy, episode 36. This is Deb Falzoy, and today I'm talking all about blame and the two sides of it. So we have blame that can be toxic, that we associate with pushing responsibility onto some somebody else and that being a way to avoid responsibility. But we also have blame as a healing tool, as a way to overcome a a wrongdoing towards us. And I'm going to talk about a section of Dr. Karen Huffer's book, Legal Abuse Syndrome. Um, Dr. Huffer is an associate professor in counseling and forensic psychology at King's International University. And she's also a marriage and family therapist. Um, But she has worked in the courts as an expert witness in the field of this legal abuse syndrome. And I want to share with you her perception on blaming in the context of feeling wronged by a greater system that you believe is supposed to protect you. Are you ready to dive into this issue with me? More after this. If you're a target of workplace abuse and want to break free of the grips of abusive power, you've found your place. I'm your host, Deb Falzoy, and the podcast begins now. So I want to talk today about these two sides of blame, one which is unproductive and the other which is actually a productive tool to get yourself closer to a a feeling of relief from workplace bullying. So on the one hand, we can use blame to rid ourselves of responsibility and only see responsibility on the other person's side. And that happened to me this weekend with somebody who I love and care about. And I was only seeing his side of the responsibility and lack of tending to it. And with some communication, I realized that I had responsibility in this issue too. And, um, you know, in that situation, blame became a toxic tool for me to use to not have to self-reflect. And then finally, when I did get to this point of realizing my role and responsibility in the situation, blame was taken out of the equation and I was able to better understand the situation and the role that I was playing in it. Um, But I want to talk about the other side of blame. And Dr. Karen Huffer wrote this book called Legal Abuse Syndrome, Eight Steps for Avoiding the Traumatic Stress Caused by the Justice System. And I know not all targets of workplace bullying use the justice system to try to obtain justice. Um, But at the same time, there are so many parallels to to workplace bullying and using the legal system for any issue. And the biggest similarity is that when we have a a situation where something unjust happened and we feel wronged, we still have this belief in the overall system. Um, we have a belief that those bigger systems greater than, than us 
are going to step in and help. And when they don't, there's this layer of re-trauma. And she calls this legal abuse syndrome when it pertains to the legal system. But there, it, it can be applied to any system where there's an expectation that the greater system will take care of justice and then they don't. And it leads to re-trauma. So I want to talk about, in her book, she has a section on blaming. She has like these eight steps. And it's incredible how spot on she is with the steps that targets of any sort of abuse need to go through to recover. But I'm going to focus on blaming because this really resonated with me this weekend of, you know, when is blame useful and when is it not useful? So so in this part, I'm going to talk about when blaming is useful. So she says that only by identifying the wrongdoer and confronting evil in moral terms, justice is felt. And she says only when justice is felt will the wrongdoer be accepted again into society. And only when justice is felt will the victim truly recover. So she says that, you know, it's an, an intolerable idea that we can suffer from pain that's undeserved. And she says blaming is actually a healing responsibility in the cases that I just outlined. Um, she says it's the first step towards justice, and it's a step in which we can regain some sense of our safety and security. Um, she says retribution is the natural balancing factor after an assault. And she says the settling of scores has evolved in a manner that prevents natural closure to the victim or victor experience because they're relinquished to the criminal justice system. Um, and we can, as I said, equate that to a system, you know, in, in a workplace where essentially the same people who are committing the crimes or the same, or the same violations are the same, um, not necessarily the same exact people, but the same, they're coming from the same place of protecting the company when, when higher ups or HR doesn't actually back you up and do something about the bullying situation. So she says all functional and equalizing responsibilities of the criminal and victim as participants in society have dissipated. The victim has not only been left ignored, he is usually viciously verbally attacked, wrongfully blamed in the court and stigmatized by society. There is a simple expectation. Courts exist to punish the wrong and reward the right. If that expectation is violated, there remains neither means for the criminal to be brought back into the fold nor for the victim to be rewarded for doing right. And again, this is the same parallel that we're seeing in workplaces themselves when there's self-policing going on and no accountability, or if there is a, a violation of law, in, in which case the big one here would be discrimination, when those um, employers and the courts believe that either believe that the the target or the victim is lying or you know caused the problem or they have to make up lies in order to just protect themselves and they just continue on with the corrupt wrongdoing 
Okay, so she continues on to say that victims experience guilt when they're betrayed because they relinquish control of their lives. Their families have been hurt by the invisible assaults and shame fills their core um, because right and wrong do not determine the degree of guilt suffered by these victims. She says loss of control of one's life is the most profound precipitator of guilt and shame. Um, so these targets are, are becoming angry at themselves. She says that um, behaviors that, that signal this guilt are distrust, shame, rage, terror, grief, suicide ideation, homicide ideation, hatred, withdrawal, and defensiveness. And um, she says guilt, rage, anger, and, and wrong all need to be directed to where they belong. And this is squarely at the offender. So th this is really a critical piece when, when it comes to workplace bullying because the absolute key way to turn a situation around when there's gaslighting and targets internalize the um, the problem that they're going through and they, they work harder to prove themselves and that only triggers more of the insecurities of the bully. Um, the, the key is that they have to discover and realize that they are not the problem. So that's what Dr. Huffer is referring to here when she talks about blaming. So she goes on to say that deceptive crimes are crimes of perception. Criminals have pessimistic motives and cynical attitude becomes a justification to betray others. Criminalize, rationalize, and twist the viewpoints of the authorities and can appear sincere from their angelic stances. Therefore, deceptive acts become burdensome for law enforcement to evaluate. Every deception is further affected by distortion, varying insight paradigms and prejudices that alter the ways in which an invisible crime is perceived. Therefore, legal abuse syndrome victims don't receive clear and consistent responses to their assault. So this is a, a deception game. There's manipulation going on. There's play on biases, errors, confusion. And she goes actually on to explicitly say that corporations are perfect examples. She says that these are business entities who function in a capitalistic manner. There's no feelings or consciences like consciences as people have. And they have money, teams of attorneys and lobbyists, and they have power, but no virtue. And this is exactly where the problem lies with workplace bullying. Um, and because this plays out in legal systems, she explicitly says there's no meaningful avenue for wrong to be righted in our society. She says that, you know, victims are left to, to distinctly define who did what to whom. And she says blame becomes a hovering blimp casting shadows over many, but never landing on a definitive target. Thus, closure for victims is foiled. So she goes on to say that, you know, litigants often have effective cases. They have evidence. They have, they're, they're set up to actually win when you look at the facts. Um, and these would work in an institution that would actually stand for justice. But bureaucracy comes in, there are delays, there are statutes, there are loopholes. 
there are, you know, quote, constitutional rights for offenders. There's deception, there's sleight of hand. And these all offer this layer of resistance to, um, to the target. It's a catering to the dishonest, you know, employer, attorney, or judge. And then in the end, the, the target doesn't have stake in the game. There's no personal motive to stay in that fight when ultimately the only go- goal becomes to recoup your your financial losses. So she talks about um, th- this prevailing myth that victims are asking for the assault. And um, when when targets take that on, you know, it, it may sound compassionate to have some type of of empathy for the abuser, like, you know, maybe they were victimized or had a bad childhood or whatever, whatever excuse or reason is being, being used here. Um, But once the target internalizes what's going on, they might feel responsibility or just feel like they're, they were stupid about something or, you know, it's payback for something they did before or, you know, they were gullible or they should have known better or they, they you know, those what ifs come into play. Um, that turns into abuse of self and it becomes toxic. And it's important to focus on the facts and what, what really happened so that the target can surrender responsibility because they aren't the ones who've done wrong here. And that's really a key issue is that no matter how, how it then becomes the target's responsibility to address their own life and essentially become the CEO of their own life, all of the blame still falls on the shoulder of the shoulders of the abuser. Um, So she says that, you know, some of the difficulties caused by self-blame can be, you know, defense attorneys forcing them to admit some sort of unconscious complicity, which is, you know, a form of manipulation. Um, Police officers might sense some, some guilt, she's saying, when it comes to legal abuse syndrome. So there's like key players at play. This might translate to HR or another higher up, another manager who, um, who can sense this internalization on the part of the target. And that plays into their standpoint on the issue. Um, you know, there, there might be, um, there might be supportive behavior held back or, you know, there might be a removal of any level of support for the target, or talking resources or comfort of any kind. And these all lead to the employer getting completely off the hook for their behavior, and it perpetuates and reinforces their behavior. Some of the drawbacks of the blame game with the target is that, um, or the target, I should say, blaming the abuser is that they they might stay in this anger phase without learning from the experience. And that's not to say that they should be blaming themselves, but they might not just 
it, it might just help. They might just feel stuck in this sense of hopelessness and not have clarity. Um, they might alienate themselves from people who they actually need help from. They might get defensive. Um, and then that can just, that can radiate down to other people in their lives. It might result in marriage, a marriage breakdown or friendship troubles or just, you know, harm to their personal lives. Um, acts of revenge aren't the answer. You know, it might play out on the wrong person. It, it consumes time and energy. It won't... Um, it won't be in line with the values of the victim. It, it destroys self-esteem and it just magnifies the problem. So um, she talks about, you know, the, the moral code of the target ad addressing the abuse of power. And the act of blaming actually requires the victim to look deeply into their own values. And this is a key element here because it's this is the piece that distinguishes the target from the abuser. And so the, she says the victim confronting the blame is the first step toward rebuilding trust. We have ascertained that loss of trust is the greatest loss known to man. And she says change in behavior and attitude of, of a drunk driver, for example, is a major factor in the victim sensing that justice has been accomplished. So she, it's really talking about this societal correction that restores this trust. So she goes on to say that this blaming action must bring satisfaction to the target. And... Um, you know, whether that's through a lawsuit or a complaint to some kind of group regulating. She, she talks about regulators and consumers groups. In this case, it could be a post on Glassdoor or, um, you know, just some other avenue that that lets that person have a voice. And she also says reporting it to Congress people. Um, but she says that some of these channels have become so bogged down in bureaucracy that there's rarely satisfaction and it's just not comforting. And on often there's no monetary payout that feels somewhat, at least possibly somewhat restorative. So she says that, um, you know, there's no system in place to effectively right the wrongs and restore justice for the victim. Um, because we're talking about restoration of the moral code here. Um, she goes on to say that when there is um, mediation and arbitration, there's still not a sense of closure. It, it like just basically, quote, like smooths over rather than takes a stand in behalf of what's right and what in what responsibility there should be. And she says that um, the offender and the system or or what targets thought would be the protector just become one and the same. So this is what I've talked about before in that if you are targeted at work, the, you know, you have this one target, then that, that can grow into what we call mobbing because then the, um, the abuse moves on to people who or from people who the abuser has convinced that you are a problem but then say the target reports then to hr or a higher up 
then it becomes an army that they're up against. And this is, you know, in, in comparison to uh, the legal system that she's talking about, and that can also be the case for targets, um, but it just becomes this, the, the higher up you go, so often there it's, it's re-trauma because your belief in something that you thought would restore you and make you feel whole again um, is just not, it, that, that rest, restoration of justice is not being fulfilled. Um, she goes on to say that punishment is directly tied to power. The wrongdoer exerted power over the victim. Punishment allows the victim or his representatives to strip that power from the criminal and to apply a counteracting power. She says groups usually remove privileges, ostracize, yell at, condemn, and censure wrong behavior. Um, but she also says that punishment fails to target the moral violation and to consistently change future behavior. So her big ending point here is that she says blaming is a moral concept. It is not to be confused with retribution and revenge. A moral law was violated and someone or some entity was responsible. She says the most critical element is to find who made the decision to violate the moral contract with full knowledge that the act would cause suffering. Then the duty is to blame according to the values of the victim and the society in which he lives. Until the victim feels better, blame is not finished. And then she says that, you know, the effect of, of no fault on individuals and institutions leaves the, the target left with few effective means in a civilized society for meeting his fundamental need for justice. Thank you for listening to Screw the Hierarchy. If you feel like you need more help, I have a free guide to recovery steps at dignitytogether.org targets and a sign up for daily boosts through your inbox at the same place. All of the content in this podcast was created and edited by yours truly, Deb Falzoy, and the music you heard is from Kevin McLeod. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.